Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Grounded with Pastor Matt Round. Happy New Year, and we apologize for the absence of episodes the last few weeks. We were just kind of taking a little break for holidays and Christmas and everything. So we're back, and we're back on the regular schedule. And in this episode, we will be answering the question, how do you prove that the Bible is true? Here to answer that is Pastor Matt Round. How you doing, Noah? Good to be back. I'm doing good. Been a long time since we've been together, and uh, thanks for listening for those of you that do, and for sending in questions. We've got a couple, and we'll start to work through those in uh, upcoming episodes. So this is a great question. How do you prove that the Bible is true? And the full question, at least that I got, is how do you prove that the Bible is true to an agnostic unbeliever? And uh, that's kind of two different facets that we'll get to in a minute. But most of us, I think, have heard this question in some way or some form at some time. Uh, there are times when it comes out of genuine curiosity. People are asking about your faith, uh, asking why the Bible is different than kind of every other religious book. Um, if something is so old, how can it be relevant? And I think there are times when that question, again, comes out of a genuine curiosity or a desire to learn something. Um, but more often than not, of course, this comes from a place of antagonism. Uh, usually it's not phrased how do you show me the Bible is true? Usually it's the opposite. It's the attack. Well, the Bible is uh, old. The Bible is outdated. The Bible is a fairy tale. It's a book of unbelievable things. Uh, you can't prove that it's more or less true than any other book. It's been changed so often that it's unreliable. All those things feed into kind of the desire to ask this question of, well, how do we prove that it's true? And the reality is that there's so many different angles and aspects and bits and pieces to this question that there's no way to answer it in one podcast. I mean, there's books written about every part of this. So I would refer you to good literature that's out there. And if you send in questions about a specific topic, uh, we can guide you to some good resources. So that's another way to use the email interaction with this show. Um, but it's always helpful to start off by saying, and a question's impossible to answer because that gets you out of actually answering it. So let me answer the question, first of all, by not answering the question at all. Um, because the question, again, phrased to me this way was, how do I prove that the Bible is true to an agnostic unbeliever? And I want to pull that apart a little bit and get to the heart of that, because how you view this question is absolutely going to change and shape how you respond to this question. I think that a Christian asking this question, how do I prove that the Bible is true to my non-believing friends? How do I prove that the Bible is true to an agnostic? That I think that comes from, again, a genuine place of wanting to minister to people. I think it comes from a place of concern for the unbeliever that asks. Uh, I think the thinking is, well, that's a reasonable question. And if only I could provide a reasonable answer or the right information for that question, then it would positively impact that person's desire to follow Christ. In other words, if I give a good answer, maybe we could even say if I give the right answer, then this person will believe the Bible and therefore believe the gospel and therefore become a Christian. And when we put it that way, given the episodes that we've done in the past, hopefully some alarm bells start to go off in your head. Because we've said before on this podcast that salvation is not a matter of information. It's not an intellectual uh, apprehension. It's not something where if you fill in the right number of informational boxes on your Excel spreadsheet, salvation pops out the other end. Um, that's not what it is. Salvation doesn't come because somebody finally gets out-argued or outwitted in a theological debate. Salvation comes when the gospel does what God says only the gospel can do. Uh, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel transforms dead hearts into new life in Christ. 
It's not the preacher. It's not the evangelist. It's not the friend who's giving the gospel message. Now we have a responsibility to give that gospel message in a way that's clear and compelling, but it's, it's the message that saves, not the ability of the messenger. So there's another problem. And we talked about it on last week's show, Uh, the idea of an agnostic unbeliever, the idea that there is someone who is, uh, openly questioning, but unconvinced about whether there's a God or not, isn't really a biblical category. Um, We talked about that when we answered the question about why doesn't God reveal himself? Psalm 19, Romans 1, other places talk about the fact that creation itself uh, speaks to the existence and the nature of God. So when we come even to these questions, we have to remember that nobody's neutral. Uh, There is nobody who's coming to this Even the question of the Bible and its historicity or its reliability, nobody comes to that question from a neutral place. There are those who attribute what they see in the world around them to the God who made it. And then there are those who, in a willful and sinful act of rebellion, suppress or hold down the truth. So no matter how nice and polite the person asking is, they're not neutral. That doesn't make them the enemy. That's not what I'm saying at all. But they're not neutral in how they're approaching the question. And then we need to understand that the goal is not to get people to see that the Bible is reliable or consistent. It is reliable. It is consistent. It is authoritative. It is all of those adjectives that we talk about it as. The goal is not to convince people necessarily of those things. If I could convince a person that the Bible was absolutely historically accurate, that what it says happened actually happened, that the words that were in it were always true, it still does not solve their greater problem. First uh, Corinthians chapter two, verse 14, Paul says, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The idea of the natural man, the unconverted heart, it's not able to respond rightly to the word of God. So an individual person X here could read and intellectually comprehend every word. They could read the history of God's interaction with people through the Old Testament. They could read the account of Jesus in the Gospels, and they could believe that those were actually what happened. And that in and of itself still does not solve the problem of sin and rebellion against God. Uh, That's still a matter of repentance. It's still a matter of uh, salvation that has to take place. So again, somebody could, in some sense, believe that the Bible is good or true or accurate and still not be rightly related to God. Uh, We had, when I was back in high school, I didn't take the class, but my wife did. We had a class called The Bible is Literature, and the teacher who taught that was not a believer. Now, he could read the Bible. He understood the breakdown and the authors and the chapters. He could give homework assignments based on that, but he had no spiritual understanding of why anything that he read or anything that he taught or anything that he assigned actually mattered. Uh, And so there's a disconnect there. If we think that the goal is, well, if they believe the Bible, then I have done my job. And the reality is that God is not on trial here. We are not standing as God's defense lawyer. And if we fail to make the case, then the whole thing falls apart and these people can't possibly get saved. Um, Are there answers Yeah, there are. Is the Bible true and reliable? Yes, it is. And we're going to get to that. We will get to that, I promise. (laughs) But uh, what does this person that you're talking to need? When you talk about this 
unbelieving, agnostic, friend, uh, conflict, whatever you're in in this particular situation, their greatest need is not to understand that they could probably trust the Bible that you hold. Their greatest need is to understand that their sin has separated them from God, that Jesus Christ is the only way of reconciliation and salvation, that his death satisfied what should have been ours, the wrath of God poured out against sin, and that in his life we find new life. So there's, without that happening, all of these other discussions about the Bible are really very, very secondary. But back to the question, because if you rephrase it in a different way, this actually becomes really important. And maybe we phrase it this way. Uh, what are some things that God has graciously given us that remind us that what God says in his word is true? How can you and I as believers continue to dig into what the Bible says and how the world interacts with it and be reminded and encouraged in our faith? Because that's exactly what it does. Rather than looking to prove the Bible, what we see when we dig into it is that God graciously gives us things that affirm and encourage and grow our faith in him. So that's what I want to talk about a little bit, because there's answers to that. There are evidences that the Bible is true and reliable, and those tend to fall into two categories. Uh, one is external evidences, uh, how the Bible relates to things outside of the Bible itself, and then some of those are internal. They're based on the words of the Bible themselves. So when we look at things like external evidence, how can I know that the Bible is true and reliable and trustworthy based on external evidence? Well, one of the things that we look at is history. Uh, the Bible is not a history book in that it is not a textbook that seeks to give the exhaustive history of a person, a place, a people group. It talks about history. It gives historical events and information. And where it does that, we find that it's absolutely perfectly reliable. Um, when the Bible talks about people or people groups, archaeology and history verify that. Uh, even down to the fact that there are places, there are people groups, there are individuals uh, that historians have doubted even existed. Everybody from the, the people group of the Hittites to King David, uh, even to Pontius Pilate. There were times when the broad historical consensus was these things do not exist. They are literary inventions of the Bible. And then as archaeology progresses and things are unearthed and uncovered, it verifies the biblical account uh, over and over the reality is that an increased knowledge of history through archaeology and excavation work in specific places, particularly in the uh, Near East, they confirm what the Bible has already claimed. That is tremendously encouraging to know that the more we dig, the more we tend to validate what the Bible says happened. And beyond just historical existence, uh, the Bible also tells us accurately the way that things happen. Uh, conquests of cities and nations and captivities. Uh, the archaeological evidence consistently validates, again, what the Bible says down to occupation layers and destruction patterns and all of these nuances uh, that uh, even secular science and archaeology continually validate and confirm. In fact, uh, there are significant numbers of non-believing uh, scientists, archaeologists, who use the Bible as a text to then go find where they might expect these things to be. And it's remarkable how often that's validated. Um, so what other external evidences are there? Well, one of the common questions is how can the Bible be reliable when it's been changed so often, translated so many times, uh, misinterpreted, misapplied, and misquoted over the years? Um, and that argument almost always comes from someone who read a tweet about a blog post that was based on an article 
that their brother's professor read when they were in college. Uh, and I don't just say that to be flippant, uh, but the reality is that most people who talk about uh, this huge field that we call textual criticism that deals with how we got the printed Bible that we hold in our hands, that is a vast field that if you are not deeply interested in, the reading gets mind-numbing pretty quickly. And so most people are very content to quote some antagonistic statement that they have almost no ability or interest to actually verify. Um, because the reality is that textual criticism, once again, winds up validating the Bible. Uh, the Bible is by far the most well-attested ancient document from a manuscript perspective. When we talk about manuscripts, well, we're talking about pieces, sometimes whole books, sometimes whole collections of the books of the Bible. Um, we know that there are many books that are ancient. The Bible, again, by many times over, is more well-attested to than any other ancient document. So just from a literary criticism perspective, there ought to be fewer doubts about the Bible than pick your ancient Near Eastern or ancient Western source. I mean, right down to Homer's writings, the Iliad and the Odyssey, uh, Caesar's description of the Gaelic Wars. There's The Bible is much more well attested to than those other documents that we don't tend to find the same questions about. Um, and the reality is that the more that we find as far as manuscripts and fragments and pieces of the Bible, the more they validate that what we have is not only accurate, it is miraculously accurate. Uh, that those who copied the Bible from people group to people group, language to language, generation to generation, took remarkable care. And more than that, of course, it's God's sovereign design that he would preserve his word for his people. Um, and all that leads again to there are books written about this. I can't possibly touch it all in a podcast. But suffice to say that the more you actually read and research, rather than coming to a place of questioning, it is remarkably affirming to the Christian faith that the Bible that we hold in our hands is remarkably accurate um, to what the originals would have been. Um, there are dozens of books on science in the Bible and archaeology in the Bible, uh, the text of the Bible. They are fascinating. They are worth diving into. Um, but again, the, the short form answer is the more that you look at external challenges to the Bible, the more they wind up affirming the Bible. And so uh, from a Christian perspective, sometimes those areas that we're afraid to engage in science and uh, archaeology and paleontology and the various what we would call secular pursuits, because maybe we're afraid of what they might uncover. I would encourage the Christian to eagerly pursue those things, um, because what you find out is that God's word is true and reliable, historically accurate, and so dive fully into those to as much as you desire. Uh, but there's also that internal evidence that we talked about. The, what does the Bible say within itself that helps us to understand that it's accurate and reliable? Uh, for one thing, the Bible talks about the world in a way that is accurate. When you look at the Bible, it talks about mankind who are made in the image of God, capable of creativity and beauty and justice and love and on and on and all those wonderful things. But then it also talks about the universal impact of something we call sin, something that takes those beautiful elements, but it mars them, it stains them. 
And when we look at the world around us, that's exactly what we find. A world of great beauty, intricate design, people capable of justice and love and mercy and gentleness, but the stain of sin and all of those things from natural disasters right down to the wickedness of the human heart that would uh, kill another image bearer uh, of God. And we see that the Bible describes people accurately. Uh, not only does it do that, but the Bible tells us that people change, that as a result of the coming of the spirit in someone's life as the result of the radical transformation that the gospel makes, we see people move from one thing to another and our the world bears that out. When people come to Christ, when salvation is wrought in a human heart, we see this drastic change from an old dead to a new living person. And the Bible explains accurately why we can expect that to happen. Uh, you can also look at what the Bible says prophetically. The Bible says that certain things are going to happen in a certain way. And if the Bible was true, then we would expect those things to happen in a way that we recognize. And what we see when we look at the Bible is example after example of fulfilled prophecy. And it's not in vague or unclear ways. It's not uh, going to your local fortune teller who uh, is a farce and a sham and says something bad will happen to you this week or something silly and vague like that. It's the Bible saying that these people will come and overthrow Israel. It's Daniel writing about four kingdoms that are going to come and then seeing in history that being played out through the, Bem the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire. Uh, it's Ezekiel who talks about the city of Tyre being overthrown and uh, then cast into the sea. And Tyre is conquered. And then years later, Alexander the Great um, is in that area and there's a group of people holding out in a tower out in the ocean. And rather than kind of wait them out or ignore them, he has his troops throw the remains of the old city of Tyre into the sea and they build a land bridge out to that tower. And so he fulfills this prophecy that he had no intention of fulfilling in a remarkably spe specific and accurate and literal way. And the Bible just does that over and over. We have prophecies concerning the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who had come uh, everything from his family line to where he would be born to where he would grow up. All of those written hundreds of years before his earthly ministry began. And the fact is that the Bible stands absolutely alone and absolutely unique among all of the writing in human history because it claims that things will happen and they do. Um, and all that again is fascinating and it's encouraging. It reminds us of the nature of God. It reminds us of God who is true, who has spoken truth in everything that he says. Um, but we need to remember again, that this isn't a battle with the unbeliever. Uh, so absolutely do the research, dig into the science, read the archeology, span study the manuscripts, uh, but don't do that thinking that if you are somehow smarter than your friend or your coworker or your spouse or whoever it might be, that they'll finally believe. Dig into those things because you're gonna find joy and encouragement um, that God proves himself faithful over and over. You're gonna be able to engage in discussions with confidence, um, but it's confidence in knowing who God is, not confidence in knowing that you have the right answer. And here's the reality that even if you don't know anything about any of those things, if you don't know uh, the first bit about textual criticism, if you don't know the history of the kings or the competing conquests in the empires, um, you still have everything you need to engage the unbeliever who asks you about this. 
Because what they need, whether this is their question or not, what they need is not to understand that the Bible is true. What they need to know is the God who inspired the Bible. Uh, What they need is to have the gospel presented to them clearly in a way that calls them to repentance and faith. And the remarkable thing is when that happens, the spirit does what God promises that he'll do. He opens our eyes. He enlightens us. He shows us wonderful things from God's word. So uh, that was a long answer that hit on a bunch of different things that we could have gone a lot deeper into. Um, But that's how we would begin to understand the question of how do we present the reliability of the Bible to an unbeliever. Thank you, Pastor Matt, for helping us dig up and understand that answer. And it's good to see you again. If you have any questions, like Pastor Matt said, send us an email or go to our website, groundedwithmatt.com, and you can find all the information there about how to contact us. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.